Welcome to Straight from the CPA's Mouth, your connection to the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center, Alberta CPAs, and business professionals. This podcast, presented by the CPA Education Foundation, features Alberta chartered professional accountants and others sharing their expertise and insights on a wide range of topics. Tune in regularly for eye-opening looks on leadership, business, education, and many issues of the day, straight from the CPA's mouth. Before we begin, in honor of the 94 calls to action put forth by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, we'd like to acknowledge that CPA Education Foundation offices are situated on the traditional Treaty 6 and Treaty 7 territories. The Foundation acknowledges that we reside on traditional and ancestral territories of many Indigenous, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples. Their histories and culture influence our community to this day. The CPA Education Foundation is committed to helping build a province where Indigenous peoples and their voices and experiences are heard, valued, respected, and celebrated. Welcome back to another episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth. My name is Nikkei Fabi with the CPA Education Foundation, and I'll be your host for this episode. Every time I turn on the news or open my social media, I'm reminded that the world is in a very precarious place. According to Statistics Canada, 55% of Canadians report having excellent or very good mental health, down from 68% in 2019. For youth, women, and marginalized communities, the likelihood of reporting excellent or very good mental health is even lower. Signs of stress and distress are all around us, even when we look in the mirror. You might even witness it in your colleagues and peers during ongoing crisis situations. Many of us are often left wondering, how can we support our networks at an individual level and as an organization, as well as how we can help ourselves? To shed a little light on this subject is Lindsay Stevenson, CPA CGA. Not only is Lindsay a CPA, but he is also a registered provisional psychologist. Lindsay is here via Zoom to share how we can learn to cope with mental health struggles, anxiety, and stress as we navigate our own journeys. It's time to hear it straight from the CPA's mouth. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's definitely a pleasure. I feel like we do have a lot uh, to talk about, so I would like to dive in. Um, How did you come to the field of psychology and mental health? It definitely seems like a bit of a change uh, from a practicing CPA. Yes, it was a big change. Um, Yeah, I guess a little bit about me. I've been an accountant since 2006. I'm still a CPA. And during that time, I I didn't feel like I had um, meaning and purpose in what I did anymore. So that led me on a journey to discover myself, kind of what makes me come alive. And eventually that led to psychology and becoming a psychologist. That's great. That's really good to see to hear about, you know, really connecting that uh, purpose and passion. Have you noticed any crossover from what you learned as a CPA to becoming a psychologist? Yes, I have. Um, as probably a lot of people listening already know, Um, Accounting isn't just about numbers, it's about people, about relationships. 
So I had spent several years in public practice and um, working for organizations, um, being part of teams. And through those experiences, I learned what it was like to talk with clients, uh, collaborate with team members, and really just what it means to be professional in dealing with, with people through emails, calls, um, managing expectations, uh, things along those lines. So all of those skills have been transferable to my new career as a psychologist. Mm-hmm. So before we kind of dive into the larger questions that surround you know, mental health and wellness, um, how do you define mental health and wellness? And how do you think this differs from mental illness? Uh, that's a great question. I, I would define mental health as um, a state of well-being in terms of our thoughts, um, our emotions, and our behaviors. And you could also define mental health as being the ability to handle stress, um, resiliency, how we relate to other people, how we make choices, and ultimately if we're realizing our full potential or not. Um, In contrast, I would suggest mental illness is anything that impairs mental health in any way. So it could look like things from negative thought patterns, such as catastrophizing, all or nothing thinking. Uh, It could be mental illness could be emotional pain that has never quite healed and is still impacting us today. Um, addictive behaviors such as alcohol, drugs, sex, porn, to um, even social media addiction and constantly being on our phones. Um, Mental illness could also be uh, physically induced and it could be things that are inherited such as um, ADHD or to things such as having a low neurotransmitter in our, in our brains that impairs mental functioning. Um, so all these things would be impairments to mental health and mental well-being. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. I like how you mentioned um, the idea of kind of like that state of well-being in terms of mental health and mental wellness and you know our connectedness to other people. Um, So what do you think are some of the common challenges that people experience either personally or professionally that bring them to seek help from a psychologist? Yeah, I guess, I guess for people that I meet with, like typically what I see are people who feel stuck or they feel hopeless. Um, They've tried to figure things out on their own, but they can't seem to move forward. Uh, Usually they may have some kind of relationship issue that isn't going away or it's getting worse. Um, It could be addictive behaviors uh, to things such as being stressed out or burnt out. Uh, So that's typically what I see with people who who are coming to me initially. Mm -hmm. So usually just something larger that they can't really manage on their own. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair to say. And the realization that, um, you know, I, I can't, I can't seem to get ahead. This is something that's bigger than me and um, I need help. Mm-hmm. So are there any coping mechanisms or strategies that you would recommend um, for our listeners 
um, who may be going through some challenging times or just anything like that? Uh, there's lots. <laughs> um, I guess it really depends on the issue, but um, generally um, I'll, I'll list a couple of things that um, are, are factors with mental health in, in general. So sleep would be a big thing. And it sounds so basic, but it's so important. It's our body's way of repair and restoration and um, just maintaining hormonal and neurotransmitter balance. And if we're not getting enough sleep, that will have a direct impact on mental health and our ability to cope. Um, another thing is diets. Again, it sounds simple, but it's very impactful. If our body isn't getting the nutrition it needs, it will put stresses on our systems. And even eating things such as uh, sugar and processed foods, um, they can lead to inflammation in our body, which has a direct impact on st um, stress, anxiety, and depression. Uh, another thing would be exercise, things like walking, running, working out, uh, doing sports activities, anything like that. And it doesn't have to be strenuous. Um, as long as we're getting roughly five hours a week of exercise, um, what it leads to is the release of endorphins in our body, such as um, an increase in serotonin, which will ultimately lead to a decrease of stress hormones. Exercising also helps boost moods, concentration, alertness, and energy. It can help with better sleep and relieve anxiety. So that's another way of coping. And then things uh, such as social activities and just being engaged with relationships in our lives. Human beings are wired for connection. And if we're not connecting with people, that will have an impact on our mental health. And other things such as leisure, uh, just, just making time for ourselves each week. Um, so all of these things are, are ways to cope um, and help improve and maintain mental health, I would say. Right. So it really is kind of that blend between some of the, those more internal factors like eating well, sleeping well, and then the external relationships that we hold with others. Yeah, exactly. So how do you recognize, I, you mentioned earlier, you know, people come to see you when they've realized maybe that there's something in their life that they can't work through on their own. So then they seek professional help. But I guess, how do you begin to recognize when it might be time to ask or seek professional help? Yeah, I, I would suggest if, um, if you're feeling, feeling hopeless or you're feeling stuck, um, if you're feeling overwhelmed, um, if you're feeling like your thoughts or emotions are out of control, or if there's little things that you can't seem to handle anymore in your life, or even doing, if you find yourself doing things you know you shouldn't be doing, but you can't seem to control it. I think, I think all of those would be indications that seeking help might be uh, um, something that will be a benefit to you. How it could manifest physically, uh, it could be anything from if you're losing sleep at night, um, if you're having panic attacks, if you're, if you're gaining weight, if you have high blood pressure, 
to even your sex drive and your ability to engage in sex. If all of those are being impaired, um, those are physical signs that um, you, you may need to seek help. Yeah, I, I would say things along those lines. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Um, you might have answered this a little bit earlier in terms of the things we can do, like sleeping well, eating well, prioritizing our health. But I guess, how do we be proactive with our stress management? I, I would argue that there's probably like a healthy amount of stress is okay, but I guess, how do we, how do we work to mitigate stress when it seems like it's becoming too much? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I love how you mentioned a, a healthy amount of stress. I think it might be helpful just to, to know what's involved with a stress response. And I think there are times where a stress response is definitely the appropriate response, the healthy response, such as if we're uh, walking in the woods and we're suddenly chased by a bear. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we've, we would want a stress response in that situation. But I think for um, a lot of uh, CPAs engaged in the financial reporting worlds or doing assurance attacks, whatever it may be, um, when we're constantly being triggered with deadlines and all, all these demands and expectations on us, those stressors over time can have a negative effect, effect on, on our life. Um, not just physically, but mentally as well. So yeah, just, just in general, like what happens in a stress response is we're no longer thinking from our prefrontal cortex, the front part of our brain where uh, executive functioning occurs. And that involves like thinking rationally, thinking logically, problem solving. So when we're in a stress response, we're no longer operating from our prefrontal cortex, we're actually operating from our amygdala. And the amygdala is in charge of our survival response, and that is the fight, flight, or freeze response. And when we're operating from that state, there are stress hormones that are released in our body, such as cortisol and adrenaline. And this puts our body in a heightened state of alertness. And again, short periods of time when it's a real threat is that's an appropriate stress response. But when we're constantly living in stress, as I mentioned, like dealing with deadlines and the demands of work, when we're constantly living in a stressful environment, that will ultimately wear our body out, so to speak. And it, it results in decreased immunity, our body breaks down, it burns out, and then ultimately we're no longer able to handle things like we had. So, so that's what's going on with the stress response. So to, to manage it, um, getting back to your question, I, I often recommend um, the practice of mindfulness. So what mindfulness means is focusing on the present, not letting our, our mind get carried away with the, the thoughts and worries and concerns of work, but just giving ourselves like five minutes to just be fully present, observing only what's in the room and not, not worrying about uh, other things. Another thing that's helpful for managing stress is breathing. 
breathing exercises work on two levels. They learn, they work on our mental level. Um, and it also works on our physiological level. So mentally, when we do a breathing exercise, it usually involves some form of counting. So we only focus on counting. We don't focus on any other thoughts. Our mind will naturally pull us away to try to focus on our worries and concerns, but that's okay. We, we just bring it back and we just focus on the counting as we're doing the breathing exercise. So mentally, we're, we're calming ourselves down, but then also from a physiological perspective, we're bringing our body into a state of relaxation and calmness as we do our breathing exercise. So I, I find that's really helpful for people is to engage in a breathing response to manage stress. And another thing that's really helpful is the practice of gratefulness. So just finding things in our life that we're grateful for and thankful for and just taking a moment to, to think on those things. That can lower stress. Practically, we can eliminate things that are causing us stress where we can. And we could even look at our ways of thinking that could be contributing to our stress as well. Mm -hmm. I think those are all really great, great suggestions. And I know mindfulness is something that has definitely become very popular over the last little while. And I think it's something that is really practical as well. Like you can take, you know, two to three minutes at your desk and notice the things around you, or maybe take you know, five or six calming breaths or write down, like you said, the gratefulness exercise, write down or journal a couple of things that you're grateful for, um, even though in those moments when we may be experiencing really high levels of stress. So I think those are really great suggestions. It could even be as simple as going for a walk at lunch, even things like grounding. So if you're outside in a park, like just taking your shoes off and your socks off and letting your your feet and your toes uh, just get entwined with, with the grass and just really feeling that. All these things are, are little things, like, like you said, but they can go a long ways in helping us cope with, with stress. Absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, how we personally can manage our stress and maintain our mental health and our well-being. But what would be your tips or suggestions for someone to support potentially someone else who might uh, be struggling with their mental health and well-being? Is there certain conversations we should be having if we're noticing uh, things in others? Yeah, I think I would say, first of all, like, just just get healthy yourself. <laughs> that yeah. probably goes without saying, but um, it comes to the old adage of um, being in, on an airplane and the plane's going down and the masks fall from the roof and the instructions they give is put your own mask on first before you put a mask on someone else. And I think, I think that's actually very wise and very practical. If you can do things in your life that will improve your own health, um, mentally, physically, relationally, that health in your life will um, start to spread to other people just naturally on its own. So, so yeah, get healthy yourself. And another thing I would suggest when you're looking at supporting other people would be to try to empathize with them. 
And empathy is what it means is to try to see and feel and understand things from somebody else's perspective. So really it's just putting yourself in their shoes and their situation and just trying to, to get a feel for what it's like to be in their experience. That goes a long way in helping people. Uh, if you're genuine and authentic yourself, that can help build trust with others and build your relationship with others. And you can do things such as like celebrating their successes when you see it. Again, going back to being healthy yourself, uh, just being approachable and admitting when you're wrong and just dealing with issues with, with people instead of letting things linger or, or simmer, like just, just being honest with yourself, being honest with others and just try to have a conversation where you share how you feel and you give them an opportunity to share how they feel and where they're at and see if you can basically understand where people are coming from and ensure they understand where you're coming from. And then once that understanding is, is in place, then you can try to resolve uh, uh, an issue. So I think all of those things uh, are promoting healthy relationships and ultimately it leads to uh, support for, for other people. Mm -hmm. Definitely empathy, non-judgment. I think all of those things can go a really long way in supporting others. Are there any things that you think employers can do to support um, their employees along their mental health and wellness journeys? Yeah, I think all of those things I, I had just mentioned, if, if employers or bosses can do that themselves and make sure they're healthy themselves, again, it, it, it goes a long ways to improving your relationship with not only yourself, but your employees. When you practice those things that I had mentioned, I think it helps build a, a culture that is safe. And when people feel safe, they're able to relax, they're able to flourish, and they'll feel more fulfilled and more satisfied at work. Ultimately, it leads to better employee mental health and the benefits for, for you as, as an employer or boss are greater production and greater employee satisfaction. So in addition to that, and in supporting your employees if they're struggling you could look at things such as uh, eap program employee assistance program you can direct them towards that i would i would say or even programs like cpa assist would be would be a good place for employees to go for for help that employers can encourage so yeah i i think all of those would would help support employees those are all really great suggestions, Lindsay. I know we're starting, obviously, to come out of COVID now, but in an era where people, many people are still choosing to work from home and have some flexibility in their, their schedules, um, how can we separate our work selves from our home lives? Because I know throughout the pandemic, it was quite overwhelming for many people feeling like they're bringing uh, their work home with them and they don't have that direct distinction. So just interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, great question. And I, I know more and more people are returning to work now as the pandemic eases, but I think there's still quite a few people working from home. I think, I think it's really important to have good boundaries with, 
with yourself if you're working from home. So I would suggest if it's possible, have a separate room for an office where that room and that space is only for work. And again, if possible, like have a separate phone and a separate laptop that is for work only. And then once work is done, you actually leave that office or leave that space. You turn the phone off, you close the laptop, and it means you don't check your phone anymore. You don't check emails. Once you're done with work, you're done with work. Uh, if you're in a space where um, you, you can't have an office um, and it's more out in the open, it could be something as simple as like pulling a blanket over that space so you don't have that visual reminder of work. So I think all of those would help. And then also once you're done work for the day, go for a walk, like go for exercise, go hang out with friends, but do do something after work that signifies to you that work is done and now I'm on personal time. So something to reinforce that boundary with yourself between work and personal time. I love that idea. Yeah, really making that, you know, distinction and taking that moment and physically, you know, leaving the space, going for a walk, I think. Um, that would make such a difference for sure. I do have a couple of larger questions for you. Um, some of them might be a little bit philosophical in nature, but what are your thoughts? Do you think mental health equals happiness? Uh, no. <laughs> I, would, I would say mental health can definitely contribute to happiness. But I think happiness is more dependent on external and situational factors than mental health. An example of this would be in, in terms of grieving. So if somebody you love passes away, it's actually natural and healthy to grieve the loss of a loved one. Um, that's, that's a healthy response to, to loss. But as we're grieving and engaging in this healthy response, um, we may not feel happy, but it doesn't mean that it's not healthy. So again, I think um, having mental health can lead to happiness and the enjoyment of happiness, but we're, we're not always going to feel happy, but it doesn't mean that we're not healthy. Right. I would agree with that. I think it's more like, the foundation, but obviously there's all these external contributors um, that lead to our happiness. Yeah. And maybe one more point on that would be um, sometimes being healthy means we have to have uncomfortable conversations, being honest with ourselves and what is and what isn't working in our lives. And yeah, some or, or even facing our, our pain, like deep, deep pain that we'd rather not face. All of these would be healthy behaviors, but I, I would venture we wouldn't feel happy as, as we do it. But again, it, it leads to greater health. Exactly. And potentially like longer term happiness, but in the moment, maybe not so much. Yeah, exactly. So as a psychologist, um, and maybe this is just in terms of how you interact with your clients, but how do you build trust uh, to open up to someone? Yeah, great question. I think the realization that trust takes time to build. 
Uh, so if you're just meeting with somebody for the first time, like I, I would suggest that it's normal to feel afraid or, or normal to worry like what this other person is thinking or, or things along those lines. But as you go on, as you get to know this person more and more, trust should hopefully start to build and be established. And then you may feel more free to share some some deeper and more vulnerable parts of yourself. Absolutely. And I guess as a listener, um, what should someone look for when seeking a psychologist or a therapist? And how do you think that contributes to creating that safe space? Yeah, great, great question. I would suggest when looking for a psychologist that you're looking for somebody that is the right fit for you. And if you're on Psychology Today, which is the main directory for, for looking for a psychologist, uh, something as simple as looking at their picture, like it sounds, maybe it sounds a little superficial, but <laughs> there, there could be a lot like in just being comfortable with the person you are seeing. And then as you get to talk with them, if you're doing a consultation with them before actually engaging in their services, um, some questions you could ask would be, do I feel comfortable talking with this person? Um, do they get me? Do they have the experience with what I need help with? Other factors you can, can consider as well would be uh, something like age. Like, do you prefer talking with somebody the same age as you or somebody that is younger or older and perhaps has more experience? So age could be a factor to consider. Another factor could be gender. Um, are you comfortable sharing some things with a person of the opposite sex or would you prefer somebody of the same sex? Alternatively, do you want to get a perspective from a person of the opposite, of the opposite sex on, on something you're dealing with? Uh, so all, all of those things would be considerations I would suggest looking at when, when looking for, for a helper to talk with. That's a really good point. And I hadn't thought of it, you know, when I was even thinking about this question, I was like, oh, it's probably important that you find someone that potentially aligns with um, what you value and things like that. But I never thought about, oh, do I actually want to potentially seek, I guess, the opinion of someone else um, who might be a different gender than you, which I think is something that honestly, I hadn't even really thought about. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Like it's probably a bigger factor than, than maybe people realize, but um, for somebody on, on this side of the profession, helping people, there's been a couple of times where, where there has been a preference for either um, a male or female psychologist um, based on what they want to discuss. So ultimately, I think just, just be real with yourself, be honest with yourself, and you're, you're really just trying to find the, the person that gets you, that you feel comfortable working with, and who, who, who is going to partner with you through the things that you want to deal with. I love that. Be real and be honest with yourself. I think on that note, that's a really good place for us to end. Um, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I hope our listeners take the time to reflect on their own wellness journeys 
and have learned a few coping strategies too. Uh, this might be a little bit of a large question, but I thought it could be one we could end on. But in your opinion, why do you think um, there's so much stigma around mental health and mental illness? And I guess, how do we begin to normalize these conversations? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think it's human nature to portray ourselves as having it all together and being successful and not not to uh, share our weaknesses. Certainly, we can see this on social media, like when you're scrolling through a, a Facebook feed or Instagram, we're only seeing like the best pictures of smiling, happy people with the perfect families. So... <laughs> I would suggest it's just human nature to portray the best of ourselves to, to the world. In reality, though, all of us are, are struggling with, with something and, and that's okay. So I think if we can be real and honest with ourselves and be real and honest with other people, which means being vulnerable, uh, which, by the way, takes tremendous courage to to be vulnerable. If we can be, if we can do those things, I think then we could start normalizing discussions about mental illness, which would ultimately lead to a path of of healing and and wholeness. Absolutely, the vulnerability piece, I think, is so so important in all our relationships. Yes, yes, I would agree. Well, Lindsay. Once again, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thanks again for having me, Nikkei. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth. This episode featured Lindsay Stevenson, CPA, CGA, and registered professional psychologist. And thank you to CPA Assist for partnering with the Knowledge Center for this podcast. CPA Assist provides confidential counseling services and 24-7 crisis support to Alberta and Saskatchewan CPAs, candidates, and their immediate families. To learn more about CPA Assist services, visit cpa-assist.ca. If you like what you're hearing, have ideas for future episodes, or have any feedback you'd like to share, email us at knowledgecenter at cpaalberta.ca or leave us a comment on social media. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Straight from the CPA's Mouth is produced by the CPA Education Foundation, the charitable arm of the CPA profession in Alberta. This podcast is made possible by Brian Heshey, FCPA FCA. Thanks to Brian's generous donation, the foundation created the Heshey CPA Knowledge Center, a virtual hub of resources for all Albertans. Find out more about the foundation and the Knowledge Center at cpaalberta.ca slash foundation.